Welcome to the Voice Hacks Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Z. On the Voice Hacks Podcast, I'll be talking to some of rock and metal's best singers, coaches, and experts about what goes into the mysterious and amazing sounds we make with our voices. If you like this podcast, please help spread the word by sharing it with your friends, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram, and tag me and my guests. I'm at Metal Mary Z on Instagram. Don't forget to leave the show a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and of course, follow me on YouTube at Voice Hacks by Mary Z. Let's get into it. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening yet again to the Voice Hacks podcast. It's me, Mary Z, back once again. And it's my absolute pleasure today to be interviewing a man who you would normally see behind the mask. We have Mike Bishop of Guar with us. And and in his alter ego, you might know him uh, doing the vocals and fronting the band these days as Blothar. But at the same time, you might also know him as Dr. Michael Bishop, who you might have seen in TED Talks and other uh, places behind the mask. And that's kind of why I wanted to have you on today was actually the man behind the mask and um, who Dr. Michael Bishop is. And your doctorate, as I understand it, is in musicology. Is yeah. that correct? Can yeah. You- well, just music, but it was a musical and not a performance focus. So it was musicology is what I was doing. What is musicology to be specific? Well, that's a good question. I mean, in some ways it's like they just stuck the word ology on it so that you, they can count it as a science when it's about as sciencey as political science. Right. It's <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it's math, I guess. Um, but, uh, Musicology, the way that that I do it anyway, is uh, ethnomusicology, right? So it's sort of like a cross between anthropology and uh, and and music and and sociology in a way, um, or anthropo yeah, anthropology. I mean, but it's uh, you know, I mean, there are other branches of musicology, um, including you know, studying theory. Uh, and writing about that, um, studying the sort of, you know, the cultural impact of music. Uh, um, I taught co- courses like music and literature, for example, um, and uh, a bunch of stuff about writing about music. Yes, I've read that you uh, have been and are occasionally a professor. Is that something you're currently doing now, teaching music in universities? No, not right now. I, I can't. <laughs> the The band kind of uh, put an end to that just because, you know, they're so busy that I can't sign uh, a contract. (laughs) I understand. As soon as I said that, I actually re I like ate those words because I just saw you in Las Vegas on the tour with Crowbot. So I was like, I know the answer to that. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, I, I have a bachelor's in music and I talked to, the uh, someone who's teaching at my university where I graduated I graduated a long time ago so the times have changed and people don't seem to really want to go to school one of the requirements and now as you know in traditional like accredited universities is that it has to be classical there uh what we do rock and metal is somewhat verboten and especially 
probably when you were getting your bachelor's and certainly when I was, it was even more uh, forbidden than it is now. And we were ta- he was talking about how it's becoming a barrier to entry and how people are kind of turned off of getting a music degree, but at least for singers, they don't want to sing classical music. Do you see that as a, when you were teaching, did you kind of notice that um, as a trend that people kind of don't want to do that anymore? Are they still more interested in the traditional things? Uh well, I mean, at the University of Virginia, which is where I was teaching, there were a lot of kids that were surprisingly traditional. Wow. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, I mean, like the the wild musicology is a very slow moving field. Um, uh, you know, and yeah, I mean, there's a way that people talk about music. Well, music is German, right? It's <laughs> it's it's classical music, right? Um, and that's the the whole definition of music. But that's certainly changed a lot. Um, and you have uh, people that are coming into school and majoring in uh, jazz vocals and uh, uh, things like that, uh, you know, even uh, choral singing, um, which I guess actually that might be considered classical. But um, yeah, so uh, I mean, I do think that uh, that the the sort of way that we've allowed music in the in, in the academy to become a museum piece uh, is is a mistake, right? Like it, it shouldn't be a, a a museum. It should be something active and uh, and and modern, um, or, or at least have that option, right? Uh, but uh, weirdly, at that school, like I said, there were, um, you know, in especially as far as performance, there wasn't a lot of. Uh, modern uh you know interest in in modern stuff which was surprising to me yeah i mean it's kind of like uh, but it's kind of strange to me though as a as a musician who who does metal you know that um in classical school you couldn't you really weren't allowed to look at anything except jazz but i would say that this kind of ends at the same point past like 19 uh 45 maybe <laughs> 1950 maybe they let me get up to the like Schoenberg and then that's it you know that was about it so you know like the metal the rock and I think that's kind of strange I mean I guess sometimes there's not that much to study because you're like oh it's all minor pentatonic but (laughs) at the same time I feel like uh, it would be cool if it didn't start at that point and we got to hear more about you know what people are doing in modern music so yeah I mean we know that's not true though right like I mean there's a lot of uh um there's a lot of interesting sort of uh, modal work and just just you know work on harmony that goes into uh goes into rock music um and i think you know the angle that i teach which is sort of like a more cultural and historical focus on music um that that area of music uh we, we have come into the modern you know i, I taught a, co- a course on history of rock history of country music Wow. Um, yeah, things like that. Uh, so there you are certainly branching into the future. Yeah, but it's but it's not the performance, right? Like the performance studies uh, seemed like uh, you know you know there's very little like jazz is like you said is about as modern as it as it gets. And I guess like when I was talking about choral music, sometimes they do like modern composing, right? Like modern classical music, which yes. So there is that side of it. 
Yeah. Do you feel that uh, you ever look at the stuff you do with Guar through this lens, or is it a is a different lens that you're viewing the rock and metal, the metal that you write through, uh, or do you think it all ties together, the music theory and everything? Yeah, it all ties together. I mean, I don't use, I'll, I just use the practical amount of music theory. <laughs> like, I'm not, yes. uh, you know, because there's a big difference in in theory for performance and theory for analysis. It's, um, but. Uh, That's a really good point. Yeah. Um, so that that's what i you know i mean for me it's more like uh uh i, I do look at at guar historically though i mean i i think of what we're doing in in context um and uh i'm sitting i'm sitting here trying to think i mean <laughs> on the last record there's definitely you know sometimes like if you're reaching for melodies uh i like you know schubert <laughs> great yeah. source of melody you know it's like uh what do you want like well let's see everything's an e-flat minor here we got a sonata mm -hmm. uh, you know <laughs> and he's 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 doing something pretty good you know i just love that guy's art song is or it's so so great so there's a lot of sort of i think maybe what i'm saying is that uh the tools that I use and the range of influences has been influenced uh, by uh, or shaped by my education. Um, but uh, but I don't really look at it like sort of through a, a lens of classical music. I just sort of have some different stuff to reach for, you know. That's really cool. I, I sang a lot of sh uh, the Schubert art songs in college because I'm a, con as you can tell, I'm a, I have a very low voice and we get, we either get <laughs> castrati arias or German stuff. <laughs> right. So, yeah. but it is, you get a lot of melody and that's where music starts to get really dark, right? Music takes oh. a dark turn yeah. in the 1800s. Definitely. Yeah, and Schubert in particular, I mean, yeah, Der Doppelganger. Mm -hmm. So, like, uh, with the, what is it, Dietrich Fischer? Discal. Dietrich Fischer yeah. Discal. Yeah. 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 I, I, I would listen to a lot of his recordings to learn the songs because, you know, I just find sight singing to be the most impractical thing in the world. Yeah. Even when I was in school for it, your ears learn so much faster. I could read music just fine, but I'm not going to plunk out my melodies on the p piano. So I listen to a lot of. Yeah. Dietrich Fischer Dieskau's um, recordings, and yeah. yeah, I love it. One of the ones that's so metal that Schubert does is Der Tod und das Mädchen, Death yeah. and the Woman. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so good. It doesn't yeah. really get any more metal than that, you know. No. Um, and no. it's really dark sound too. This the music, the music becomes very melodically dark, which is sort of something we hadn't really seen uh, too much of before. Yeah. Right. Um, dark times. So mm -hmm. the TED talk you mentioned, I want to circle back around to what you said about Guar, who, where you said, you know, historically, and I think this is huge because uh, Guar took things to a level historically for rock and metal that 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 people really jumped off of later. But you were the first and and uh, and it still are the only in many ways with what you do with the stage show. I can't point to a lot of other bands in which the stage needs to be covered in plastic to facilitate the performance. And I think uh, your TED talk really touched on the, the cultural identity of the band. 
I mean, what I was trying to do was just demonstrate uh, or what I was asked to do, um, and which I really didn't have the time to do, was uh, uh, just to sort of explain Guar in context, right, with the, with the idea that, that Guar, uh, this band that's supposed to be from outer space, but it's really shaped by uh, its, its locality, right, um, uh, just like all music winds up being shaped by uh where it is and you know where it's from and the, where the people mm -hmm. who do it are from and um you know and in some ways it, it guar really reflects that uh uh reflects that environment of richmond virginia you know a small southern town or not a small southern town but a uh sort of it's just really sort of a new south town right it's like maybe a smallish medium-sized um during the context of the mid eighties. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, looking at that environment and just the sort of the, the, the state of things, the economy, um, politics, uh, you know, what, what Richmond is like and what it was like, um, these things really allowed the band, uh, to, to form and, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, people don't often think about those things, right? They don't think of, about things as being uh, uh, very situated historically um, and culturally. So what are the things from Richmond? Uh, because, you know, obviously listening to this not being from Richmond, <laughs> I'm like, this is so interesting. How is this reflected in this? Um, because, uh, and I know what you're saying, though, because if you look at metal at a, as a whole, you know where this, this sounds like Scandinavian metal. This sounds like, mm. you know, even when we look at some newer bands that come from Israel or uh, Mirath from Tunisia, you oh, can yeah. actually hear those influences in their uh, music. So I right. get what you're saying, but I'm really curious, what are the aspects of culture in Richmond that helped shape Guar? Well, it's a little bit uh, different than what you're describing. I mean, you, you're, you know, th that's sort of, I think maybe identity in, mm. in a sense coming into that music, right? Um, I'm thinking of, of, and identity certainly comes into into play in war, but I really uh, was thinking more of, you know, <clears throat> the city, right? Richmond during that time period was uh, pretty much emptied out like a lot of New South cities, right? Like it had been, uh, people had fled white people had fled to the suburbs that could um and people who were uh who didn't have the ability to do that were stuck in the city so you had um a lot uh, you know a, a very uh prominent black population in the town um and there was uh this flight had um really created some spaces in the city uh, which were available, uh, very inexpensive for people who are just poor, starving artists to go in and and get into these spaces. And, you know, and that's literally how, I mean, Guar was formed in an ab abandoned dairy. Wow. Uh, that like, that they had turned into rehearsal spaces while they were renovating it, right? It was this sort of crooked renovation project that took like 30 years um, eventually they made it into condominiums, but, uh, you know, back then they hadn't, um, 
and so we, you know, we were just kind of living there um, and working there. And there were a lot of artists doing that. So, so uh, in that way, just as a, you know, it's a very sort of practical relationship between um, the economy and the history of the city uh, that allowed Guar to form. Um, you know, just the fact that 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 Virginia Commonwealth University is there and had drawn um, this particular group of people uh, to the city um, is something that uh, you know. And in Guar's case, it was really interesting because it's like uh, uh, everybody was in the sculpture department. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and you would think the music department, but the sculpt. But actually, no. Actually, you know what? Now that you say that, and looking at the sculptural design of a lot of what you wear on stage. Oh yeah, yeah. Now, mm -hmm. now it makes sense. <laughs> right. Well, I mean that, but that's always the case, though. You know, like if you look, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I don't know. It's very unsurprising to me that, like, you know, all the good bands are going to come out of the art school, <laughs> not the rock, and not you know the the. I mean, because they have. And not well, the music school. Right, no, I yeah. agree with that. Yeah, because they're not doing because, like you said, they they can't get past 1945. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, um, you know, bebop is about as modern as they're gonna get. Oh yeah, that so. was it. That was the limit. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I and I don't particularly care for bebop, and I always felt like the bebop people were weird. I was like, those are like the jazz kids over there, and I right. don't understand mm -hmm. them. <laughs> but. Oh. Um, this is cool. So uh, this is really interesting because one of the things that I think musicians tend to do is we tend to be like, there's no opportunities in that shithole town or that little place where, you know, that's not Los Angeles. That's not this. That's not Berlin or whatever. And you're saying because people left, you actually were provided some opportunities. And that's a cool way to look at it. Right. And you also can't like sort of divorce you know there there are some really negative connotations to that right like i mean like <laughs> uh we were in those spaces because they had been vacated by uh, people yeah. who previously lived there right um or or because uh uh and and um just the the kind of economic situation in in downtown richmond had gotten you know pretty dire i mean there was a lot of crime there was a lot of uh uh like I said, just nobody that that didn't have to go there didn't want to be there, right? So we moved into these spaces that that people didn't want. Um, but there is a, even you know like a, a racial element to that as well. You know, I mean, people had uh, um, it was based in in uh, a sort of race based flight out of the out of the city that had mm. uh, allowed us to move into those spaces, and you know we can't sort of ignore that aspect of it you know it's a uh, um so it, it, it's very <laughs> in america like everything very tied to race right very tied to uh uh to economy yeah like and people don't understand the 80s when he began i mean it's like when you look back this is only 20 years after the civil rights movement and in the mm -hmm. south a lot of things are still lingering at this time you know it just doesn't yeah, magically it, have a shut off right. button and richmond's the capital of the confederacy i mean you know and and that recently like during the pandemic came to light with a lot of the sort of political stuff that was going on there with the statues and things like that but certainly um, yeah but at the time it was really absolutely unthinkable that they would remove those statues 
uh, in the mid eighties. I mean, you know, that was the, uh, another way that, that, that Guar kind of reflected that town is that, you know, we looked at our environment and we chose to be from outer space, right? Like, um, a, a lot of people that, that come from Richmond, um, and bands that come from Richmond, I've noticed that they start, they've started to kind of incorporate that into their identity, right? Like, yeah. You know, we're a Southern band and we come from here and we play Southern rock, you know, Alabama Thunder Pussies. And it, I mean, <clears throat> even Avail, which was a sort of punk uh, band out of out of Richmond. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, they're, they have an album that's titled, I don't know, something about the James River, which is the river that flows through it. Um, and we never would have associated ourselves with the city, partly because... Mm. Uh, because of its reputation, right? And also because, I mean, I think some somewhat also because of the music we were involved in, right? There was a, a sense of, of punk rock transcending the local, even at that time, right? Like uh, uh, there were scenes all over the country and all over the world that you could be, you know, so you were part of this international community and being from Richmond felt more like a, like a hindrance than anything else. Mm. Um, you know, but in retrospect, it's part of what made us distinct and what shaped, you know, just like the, the people that we would bring on stage. I mean, they were they were the people that we were seeing in our lives. Right. These archetypes, uh, the redneck from hell. Um, nice. Yes. Things like that. You know, uh, uh, a lot of televangelists and um, <laughs> the Reverend Oral Swallow. <laughs> I love it. Do you do you yeah. feel in a way this was a good outlet for you guys to sort of rebel against some of that stuff? I mean, that's some fairly conservative stuff in the South there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for sure. It was uh, Guar was taking on all the things that we thought were um, just that we could lampoon. I mean, anything, you know, it's uh, and and something people would recognize and laugh about, you know, so they they recognize the the redneck that comes out on stage. Um, they know him in real life. They know him, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they know they know Oral Swallow, you know, and they know they know him so, too. <laughs> yeah, so in a way, it's like you know the, these archetypes uh, get uh, just they they become <laughs> they're really recognizable and really useful for us, right? But they definitely came from our environment. Um, you know, the, the, the artsy guy that, uh, that was a, like sort of lampooning the school, right. That, mm-hmm. that, and, and actually what Guar had emerged from. Right. Um, and really the whole band, I mean, was sort of the project of it was to destroy art because people were so alienated by the experience of art school <laughs> in the middle eighties. Right. Yes. Uh, it wasn't, you know, that was a time when you were, uh, if you were, if you drew comics, right, you were an illustrator, you weren't an artist, right? Um, and that's really changed. I mean, the, this, the sort of line between high and low has really uh, blurred in some ways that proves useful for Guar. Uh, but that when we started, um, I think, you know, we were involved in the project that now we see the fruits of that, right? Like that, that those barriers have been uh, torn down a lot. Uh, but they were there when we started. I think it's so cool to listen to how the band history came together because I think people just go, oh, Guar, that's the band. I've got to, you know, they're going to spray stuff on you. And there's so much more to it historically. And quite frankly, looking back, the way I view it is if 
if you guys hadn't come out with the the masks and the costumes, I mean, there was the glam, but that's a little different. That's different. Mm-hmm. That that was existing, but I felt like you guys were characters. You you are, you have different names. You cover yeah. your faces. I mean, this was a new thing entirely. Now, since then, there are other bands that took inspiration from that, um, but I can't think of a single one that did it in that way. Uh, even Alice Cooper, he dons his character, but he wasn't covering his face. The separation. You take people to another thing. You're from outer space. It's really yeah. cool. Yeah. And then the project of, uh, I mean, really tearing down the distance between the audience and the performer, like allowing that, you know, just trying to collapse that um, so that people become part of the show. Oh. And I think that's that's very much a way that Guar... Uh, Build, build. I'm not going to say innovated. I mean, we built on ideas that other people had, you know. Um, yeah, and that's, that's what all art is. Um, and uh, and but you know, we we were able to focus it, and and, and yeah, I mean, it, it does suck sometimes that people look at it and and reduce it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those people aren't paying attention. No. Know? Yeah. There's so much going on, especially if you're an entertainer, you really can see all the layers of what's going on. And I have kind of a weird question that kind of is diverting a little bit, but when, you know, when you're on stage and you have uh, a mask on and things, are you, how are you hearing yourself to know where you are vocally? Are you, are you wearing in-ears? Do you use the floor? I mean, what are you doing up there? Yeah. I mean, for a long time, we couldn't use in-ears uh, because wow. of the, but then um, we, uh, and then the, the it was, Guar's hard. It's a hard band to be yes. in. Yes. Yeah. It's a hard band to perform in. I mean, when I have gone out with other bands, it's like, oh my God, this is what you do. Like, <laughs> you know, this is a vacation. I mean, you know, uh, you're just, you're just riding around, hanging out with your friends. I mean, Guar, like, it, it, <laughs> it, it's work every night on stage uh in a way that other bands aren't i think um everybody is into the performing and everybody has their own uh challenges and frustrations i know but like but for guar um yeah i mean it took a while for us to develop even the ability to get you know the technology to get the the so that the wirelesses weren't getting destroyed and we could wear the in-ears um you know we put them in a little uh, condom um Mm. so that the so that the transmitter doesn't get wrecked um and they still get wrecked um you know uh, just dealing with microphone like wireless microphones constantly getting uh knocked over by somebody's antlers <laughs> or something <laughs> like that you know um, so, like yeah, that. right i mean it's like trying to play your songs trying to play heavy metal uh in the middle of a football game you know um that and you're on the field, right? Like uh, a football game in the mud and rain. I would oh say. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you you got to try not to get wet. You got to try. So it's it's hard. Um, and as as far as singing, I mean, I, I uh, the biggest thing, sort of challenge, uh, singing wise, is that you ha- you you know moving right. Like mm. it, it's not so much the voice as it is, I have to move. Um. And it, it's it's very easy to move when you're not wearing anything and when people can see your movements. Um, but there's a lot of like uh, the 
I have to move a lot for Blothar to move at all, right? Um, sure. I mean, that so costume looks kind of heavy, you know? It's very heavy. It weighs yeah. 74 pounds. Whoa! That's way, that's way more than I thought that was that you were going to say. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, and I've, I've got the big, heavy shoes on and... Um, yeah, so it's it's hard, you know, and then and then you read people like, oh, Blothar just stands there, like, Ugh. come on up here. Put well, <laughs> I've, I've I've carried around like a fifty pound backpack for like some heavy duty hiking stuff, and that was way too much. I cannot even imagine wearing a seventy four pound costume. Yeah, it's, it's it's rough. And and people already, uh, you can tell. So, for example, when I watch a lot of, um, you know, the more technical the singer is, the less running around they're going to do. Um, you know, unless you're Bruce Dickinson, which he's the exception to everything. <laughs> but right. aside from him, most of the people that are getting more technical when I watch more power metal or prog metal singers, they're mm -hmm. not moving as much. They're more like standing in place and like executing to the best as they can, you know. Um Right. But, you know, because it's it's tough. It's like you are the instrument. And now you're doing that on top of a show that's very theatrical. So they're expecting a lot of movement in right. uh, basically carrying around another person on your back, essentially the weight, <laughs> like a child, a 10 year old or something. It's mm -hmm. really heavy. I mean, this is really tough to do all of those things. Do you have that being said? Do you have a method on the road that you do to kind of f facilitate being able to do that every night? A routine? Um, I mean, yeah, you get into one. I, I used to do uh, a lot of vocal, uh, just this sort of, there's a guy from Richmond who was a, a, a very good vocalist. His father taught it at, uh, at Virginia Commonwealth University. And um, he taught me this thing called the whole voice method, wow. um, which was sort of like, you know, it's very meditation oriented right um and uh so i do some of that um and i used to do a lot more of it these days i just sort of do the the very end of it just to get my voice warm and then go out there um but yeah i mean there, there's not too much preparation you just sort of have to spend some time and make sure that you you get in that character um and then go out and do it. Um, so it's so. more getting into character for you than uh, like technical singing warm-ups or anything like that. Yeah, I would say. I mean, that's the hard thing about blog, right? Like, I mean, I mean, being a singer is a lot to me anyway. It's a lot less difficult than uh, it, being this character, right? Um, mm. That's sort of the hard part for me. Uh, and 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 the guy that I replaced, it was very easy for him, right? That that was his strength was was sure. being. There. I loved how you paid tribute to him at the show when I saw you. With you guys have some really great videos, and uh, I think that's really cool how you've been able to take his character, keep it honored, honor him, carry that into the future, and basically tie the two eras of the band together. Yeah, I mean. You know, Dave, he was a great singer um, and and learning all of his parts was a great sort of meditation on on him, right? Like, a, and it was something that I, 
was uniquely positioned to do, I think, um, uh, not only because of having known him and been there and, and wrote a lot of the material as a bass player, mm-hmm. um, but like also because of my education and because of my ability to kind of listen into things and figure out what, you know, what kind of approaches I could use that might uh, be similar to what he's doing, but, but sort of, you know, its own thing. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, he, he it, it's been hard because uh, he was just was such a great performer um, and so uh, active and live and, uh, and, and entertaining um, to watch and just had this sort of rapport with the audience um, you know, like I said, I mean, that, that's, that's the tough stuff, like, uh, mm. uh, sort of a, a getting, finding a voice that works, uh, for Guar songs. It, Brocky, he had some interesting techniques too. Um, very, you know, he, he did everything the same, whether it was painting, uh, you know, cause he was a fine art painter, mm. whether it was, uh, drawing comic books or playing bass guitar, which he also did. Um, or singing it, he all sort of always approached it with this kind of like uh very self-taught um very uh almost i want to say instrumental uh you know like like just i'm using this so i can get this out of my system right or so i can i'm just using it to express this thing mm-hmm. i don't care about learning all of this crap that's tied with it right i just want to express this thing um and uh in doing that, in that project, uh, he developed some really interesting sort of voices that he could go into um, and different kind of resonances. He also had a different voice type than mine, which has been challenging, right? He, he's got that, uh, the baritone, and that's sure. that's gold for rock music, man. I mean, if I could have a baritone, <laughs> I would have it, but I don't. Um, you know, so he had that nice chest resonance and uh, and a big giant head. <laughs> but there are, but the grass is always greener. I mean, I teach singing full time and I'm, and I have a low voice and I'm telling you that um, the, the higher voiced folks pe- are, are, people are all super envious of them as well, you know, mm. and, and, you know, and, and I, and I get like for some of the characters and stuff, uh, you might enjoy the deeper tones and things, but I think there's a lot of advantages to have a higher voice too <laughs> that people right. would give their right arm for. <laughs> right. I'm right in the middle. I've gotten neither. So I'm, <laughs> it sounds kind of higher though. Like to me, because I, I mean, I just saw you. And also talking to you, listening to your speaking voice. But but this is advantageous. And I find, I don't know if you find this, but the whole trick is relative perception, you know, when it comes to voice or musical instruments as far as pitch goes. Because most people don't have perfect pitch. And they can't actually hear if it's a C or a D or actually where it is on the piano. Mm-hmm. So then that's when we just, you make it sound, if you add more texture, it sounds darker, even though maybe the pitch isn't that low. You know, the yeah. audience can't always perceive that, you know, um, I, I think if you do things right, or if you just change the key a little bit, you make it low for you, but it's, so it still sounds low, but they can't perceive that it's not the same low as the other low, if that makes sense. I do this with it highs. Makes total sense. I mean, I mean, uh, I'm excited because I can actually talk to you about something that I've been thinking about 
periodically that I noticed and actually thought about writing about from a musicological standpoint, if I had the time, um, which is the way that like a damaged voice um, adapts, right? Like, 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 it's almost like there are different channels that you're using when you sing and you can, um, you know, there, there's the way that you do it. That's ideal. You know, this is, this is the ideal way. But when, when that's compromised in some way, and it does become compromised, I mean, if you can't do a hundred shows and not have it be compromised, you know, yeah. you find some, or you get sick. I mean, be, being sick is a great example, right? <clears throat> then like, you know, the upper range goes away, but somehow you're able to deliver it in a way that like you just find something else in the voice that takes its place. Um, that's very interesting to me. Yes. And I think that's actually the secret to a lot of famous vocalists. It's not that like Freddie Mercury actually was perfect every freaking night. He did a lot of things when you actually look at what people are doing. Like you dive in and look at it like an instrument like you're talking about, which you're going to do because you're a front person and vocalist and you're going to have to think about things that way. You, you, you see that they're not actually literally being perfect every night. There is something that they have to do to adapt it and we're sort of like magicians <laughs> the audience yeah. isn't necessarily aware that we're doing that <laughs> so, right yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting thing i mean it's a uh the the in ears sometimes i can't tell if they help or not i mean mm -hmm. um you know that that isolation issue really is a real thing um and you know when when uh, a lot of times because <laughs> you know, I would, I would sweat a lot and oh, they would they come they would, out. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And so I'm just sitting there without it. And I'm like, wow, I can actually hear the room and I can hear, uh, you know, that's another interesting aspect of, of vocal performance that nobody's written about, um, uh, which is that just the using, like using space, right. The, that you're in which uh, singers do really well, right? Like you, you can hear them doing it and you can hear the, the pleasure they take in it even, right? Like, like I, I can hear these resonances coming back at me in this club. Um, I hear yeah. the voice sounds out there. Um, and so you, 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 you change what you do in some ways to adapt to it. It's really interesting. I, I, I absolutely love that, you know, because that's the hard part is when I'm talking to people, you know, we're always talking about, OK, when we have the in-ears, it's nice for some things, but then other things like, for example, sometimes, you know, people are putting those crowd mics out there to, mm -hmm. to actually let you hear that in your in-ears because you can't hear it otherwise. Um, but I do like that. I like when I can actually hear a little bit of it coming out of the front of house like coming back, you know, mm -hmm. um, but so, and, and again, some people will actually have their guy mic it to do that. But yeah. sometimes, you know, the, one thing that I think is hard is sometimes the in-ears just aren't loud enough. I mean, your crowds are loud. Um, mm -hmm. When your sound checking in that room is empty, that's one thing. <laughs> you put in that loud guar crowd in there and yeah. it's a whole nother thing. Yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely true. It was weird in, in, uh, you know, in in Europe, our audiences were actually a little smaller, and we were playing smaller places. Um, and I was really enjoying, uh, even though the crowd was really close, like I was just enjoying the way it sounded in those spaces. Um, was was kind of fun. 
Do you feel, do you think like the Europeans, um, did they, do they get into it as much as the Americans do or are, are they more observant? Oh God. I mean, the first time, I mean, it, it, I should qualify and say that, you know, Guar did really well in Europe when I was in the band the first time. Um, we came, you know, after Dave died, we stopped going over there. Um, and so we kind of lost a lot of ground that we're having to make up now. Um, so that's why, you know, we've been playing festivals and then playing smaller places. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the very first time, I, I'll never forget it when we played in a squat in uh, Bielefeld, Germany, had a gravel floor, right? Like everybody's in there uh, standing Whoa. on ground. Yeah. And we're playing up on the stage and, after we play like the, you know the 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 people come up to us and they asked us why right that that was their question like you know why do you do the these things like what you know and nobody had really ever asked that right they were just kind of shocked by it um so that was interesting like uh trying to explain to somebody why um i remember brocky just got really angry and said why not <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably a much better answer than what I gave them, which was, I don't know. Let me look at my belly button and think about it. Why? I don't know. Um, but yeah, <laughs> sure. The 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 Germans uh, in particular, uh, and the way crowds react is so different. Like in France, you know, in Paris we played. I remember that, and the the, the hall just emptied as soon as we started spraying people with stuff. Like like they just left um, and stood in the back. <laughs> You know, and watch. They were interested in seeing it, but not interested in getting wet. Um, you know, and, and, and of course, like after a while, that goes away. People know what to expect from the band. Um, but it's interesting when you play, like like right now in the East, there's some places that we haven't been. Um, so, I, and that I can't wait to go to uh, eventually, you know, because it, it, war in new territories is, that's the funnest part of it. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I, the, the only thing I've ever seen that m sort of made the audience a, a part of the show in that way was uh, Rocky Horror. Like when you go to one of those Rocky Horror ones where they do the immersive stuff. Not every Rocky Horror performance is like that, but it's still not even close to what you guys do. So people come in and it's just like, oh my god, it's like beyond anything like Gallagher or anything that's like ever sprayed stuff at people before, and it's combined with some great music. Um, I wanted to ask you, what are the international touring plans looking for? You got something, anything on the docket for this year? Well, yeah, we're doing, um, I mean, we, we have a tour that's a, a bigger tour where we're actually opening for somebody. And that's, that's been a challenge with this band is like, you know, a lot of the kind of commercial avenues that other people take, uh, haven't been available to us. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, um, and partly because the band is is obscene in some ways um but also because you know the show that we do people it's taken a while to convince people look you know we we can get on and off the stage and it, the stage isn't going to be any different when you get up there and you know but it's still like do people want their crowd to be covered in stuff you know um so uh uh, but we actually managed to score an opening gig. So we're going to do uh, a lot of, yeah. So we're going to do a lot of touring for that. And I can't really say what that is yet. 
Um, but we will be doing that. And then we're doing, uh, and that's a, a couple, like two and a half months is a pretty long one. Um, and we're going to be going to uh, uh, Europe um, to do some festivals. And, you know, we're also playing in South America a little bit um, in Mexico. Wow. Yeah, we're, we're trying to get more stuff down there. Um, and we'd love to go to Japan and Australia, but we haven't been able to uh, make that happen uh, yet for this coming year. But we're trying. Have you performed in Japan before? We did um, one time and uh, we did two shows. Uh, and that was, uh, yeah, it was, <laughs> I mean, we always wanted to go there. Uh, but Japan it doesn't really, I mean, we've got a lot of work to do there, right? To sure, let people know yeah. we're doing um, and get into it. I feel I just feel like that kind of audience would actually kind of get what you're doing because they like a lot of fantasy and costumes and um, really appreciate like a show uh, like that. So <laughs> they do. But, you know, they're also extremely orderly. Right. Like. Uh, right. So the mess is also disrupting that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when they had uh, uh, the, the promoters were very concerned about the out of controlness of war, right? Like, uh, uh, okay, it's, 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 you know, we're going to, and they put tape down and, and made a kind of spew zone, right? Like here's, here's where people go to get spewed on. And, and uh, interestingly enough, like the crowd just sort of was around it. Like, like they weren't going in there, you know, like, like, I mean, <laughs> that wouldn't have happened. Right. Like, it's like, nobody's going to honor this tape that's on the floor. <laughs> But people did, you know, they, they, they didn't cross into these areas um, unless they wanted to get wet, you know, and so gradually they would come up and, uh, you know, and, and experience it. But um, it's really, really interesting. So there's sort of competing things. Plus, the band just hasn't had a lot of presence over there uh, since sure. we first started, you know, and, and now, I mean, we've managed to turn over sort of a much younger crowd in the States now. Um, and, you know, hopefully we can do that in other parts of the world. Yeah. I think what's really interesting to me about the doing music in the 21st century, you know, is like, uh, everything old is new again. And because we sort of passed like a cultural and technological, like music recording threshold sometime in the late eighties, I would say, um, you know, when kids listen to this stuff, because their generation, the younger kids, is sort of devoid of good rock music. Everyone's like, well, why do they keep listening to all this old stuff from the 80s and 90s? And I'm like, because they have nothing. They didn't, they have no artists of their time. So they're discovering guar. They're discovering everything from decades ago. And it, it's like the best thing ever to them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I noticed that when I was teaching, like in, in the history of rock, it's like, again and again you would ask kids what their um you know wh what's your music right and a lot of times it would be classic rock you know it's it's what what they heard you know led zeppelin pink floyd mm -hmm. um, uh you know just because that's <laughs> that's what's available to them if they listen to rock radio you know like they're not listening uh uh, at least in certain areas of the country, right? Where they don't have like active rock radio or something like that. 
even then, it's such a small market share of of uh, uh, commercial radio and people. And um, again, like those are not artists of their generation at all. This is like yeah. artists from your parents' generation. I mean, that used to be yeah. uncool. <laughs> I know. I know. Cool. Yeah, it's it's really that was really frustrating to me because I was like, gosh, you know, I mean, I, I wanted to learn from from them, and I did. I mean, I did. Like, you know, there there definitely was stuff that that they were into. Um, but surprisingly, sorry about that. Surprisingly, it's not usually. Uh, well, maybe not surprisingly, it, it's not generally uh, rock music um, that yeah. they were listening to. That was, you know, it was more like hip hop and uh, uh, EDM and stuff like that. Do you ever check out any of the newer um, metal bands, which we do have? Uh, you know, like yeah, Spirit, yeah. Spirit Box, Ginger, that kind of stuff. Or <clears throat> yeah, I mean, there's lots of good singing. That's for sure. Um, in some ways, the singing like follows this pattern, though, that has that has emerged even like with the instrument, with the instrumentalism in that in those uh, bands, which is this kind of emphasis on uh, uh, virtuosity. Yes. Yeah. That that is interesting, but not exciting to me. Um, you know, like uh, uh, I I prefer. Uh, it's only interesting to me, like in as much as it manages to harness genuine emotion, right? Uh, like you know, then I, I I like what I'm hearing, right? But otherwise, like you know, I mean, coming from a punk rock background, um, I think you know what I'm looking for is this uh, uh, rawness um, and just an emphasis on on feeling. Um, that sometimes seems like some of it gets lost uh with yeah. uh um, um what and then there's the sameness i don't like the sameness you know i like uh, i like stuff to sound unique um but i mean i'd like uh, ginger i really like i love how she sings and um you know th there's lots of stuff lots of i love even like you know somebody like randy from lamb of god like you know i mean he's a good singer he's got uh you know it, it's really weird that he's that you know there's like but there are techniques involved and in like you know I, I don't think anybody else is going to grab that mic and do that they're not going to do what he does like the way that he yeah. does it. um so i'm i'm you know it, it, have a kind of a wide range of interests and uh, approaches to vocals i'm really amazed fascinated by that by like how people you know one thing i've noticed that's weird is like when you see these sort of death or the 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 really growly guy that i call him like the mountain gorilla <laughs> i love it <clears throat> yeah and have you heard him hit those overtones like yes the tuvan shit like and, yes. and i don't know if they hear it and i'm like man there is a ring that is going on in this Lorna Shore, that kid, has got some <laughs> shocking technique. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really, really interesting, man. And, and that that's that's gutsy music to me. I, I I really like it. And what an example of what the limits of what you can do with human sounds are. Mm -hmm. I guess the yeah. soundscape yeah. that a human being can create. Yeah, and it's weird. It's almost like 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 I think of it like football, right? It's like, well, the the guys just keep getting bigger and stronger. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and, 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 you know, like even like, you know, women's basketball, like just, you know, uh, track and field, like the athletes just keep getting better. Um, and what they can do keeps getting more extreme. And, and I think that in music, it's kind of the same. I mean, because the drummer is just as amazing as that singer. Um, yeah. I mean, and you can see that in all these instruments over time, uh, you know, over the decades. Again, pretty much like once we cross sort of a certain threshold in the 80s and then what people really start doing with their vocals and extreme and screaming. And I mean, it really goes crazy. And I, and I love all of that. And, but I'm also a lot like what you, you say, say, because um, I I'm 40. So I grew up with, you know, things that were not like that, where, where we didn't have one thing that bothers me about modern music, a little bit about vocals is like the constant tuning. Um, and I feel as though kids are actually, their hearing is changing. When they hear all this like auto-tune vocals, they don't actually hear like what an organic expression, like, like again, a punk rock or classic rock or even like just Kurt Cobain playing the acoustic, singing out of tune, but singing expressively, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a real, a real issue, um, you know, and it's not a fight that's easy to have like in a studio with, uh, you know, especially if you wind up working with younger musicians. Um, oh, yeah. The, the whole the whole way of approaching um, tracking vocals um, in the digital age is something that's that's uh, also kind of made things very different and, and difficult in a way. Um, I don't think you have to be as prepared when you go in. Um, uh and not only that, but you, you, you also, or at least I feel like a kind of lack of control. Like I would always know, okay, well, we're going to do another track. He's opening a track that involves some work to get this, uh, you know, to make this space on this tape. Um, and we're going to do four or five takes of this, um, you know, not go all the way through it and take a pass, go all the way through it and take a pass, you know, like, I mean, and then they sit there and edit the stuff together. It's like uh, that to me feels wrong at some level. Um, it's very different. Yeah, I mean, but I don't think it's wrong. I mean, I think it, I think it works out and it's really cool. Um, but it's weird because I find myself much more than than when I did all these records on tape. I find myself adapting my performance to these recordings of me singing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. um, instead of the other way around. <laughs> it, it's pretty interesting. Do you do any recording at home or do you always do it with someone? I do lots of recording at home. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's uh, the, the, the stuff I'm talking about, the difficulty I'm talking about is, is like in the studio, like working mm -hmm. with a producer. Uh, here at the house, I mean, uh, in some ways I, uh, I don't know. I mean, I only do things uh, a few times to get um, just to get ideas down. Um, and uh, I don't worry too much about uh, how it sounds. You know, I figure we pay people to do that. <laughs> Is so well. It's so fascinating talking to you, and I, I could talk to you for like again for like another hour, 
but I, I just I hate to um, make vocalists sit there and talk that long. Uh, I mean, realistically, you guys are doing most of the talking, not me as much. Um, but I wanted to, to kind of cl- put a little end on here and say, you know, what uh, what. So the focus seems like this year for Guar, uh, you're going to be doing lots of live. Is there any studio focus, anything else we can hope to see from Guar this year? Or is it really just road dogging it? Yeah, we're road dogging and we're writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've been doing a lot of writing uh, here at the house. And um, I was actually noticing your desktop and I was like, man, I wish I didn't have Ventura on this goddamn computer. Um, hey, man, Mac attack all day. You know? Yeah, I know. But but you've got the old, the good operating system, it looks like. Um, yep, yep. You know, but, but, but that's the thing is um, I had to buy a new mac though for that there's a limit you know my old mm-hmm. laptop but yeah I, I can't even upgrade the os anymore so no i can't either and and then i had to buy uh this new one and and i don't know like it, it's just very sort of not uh it's got ventura on it and it, it's nice but it's a little bit unstable right now for me what daw so, do you use to record i use logic mm-hmm. yeah, okay Okay, at least you're using Apple's thing, so that should be better. Mm-hmm. I know. Well, well, logic itself is fine. It's the stuff that you know that, that I'm putting in it. Thank you so much, Mike, for being on the podcast. You're a fascinating guy. Everybody, look up his TED TEDx talk that he did. It's really cool <laughs> on YouTube. And go out and see Guar this year. I just did uh, not too long ago, and it was absolutely a blast. Where can people? Is it just like Guar.com? Where should they follow you guys? Yeah, Guar.net is our site. Net. Yeah, and um, so that that's where you can go to find out what we're doing and stuff. And there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that's come out this year, like in the past year, and there is more coming out this year. Uh, that uh, you know, not not new music, but lots of other stuff. You know, and we're working on a film. We're 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 doing a lot of stuff. So it's a big production year for us, as well as traveling and touring. That's so great. Well, I'm looking forward to it all. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us on the podcast today. You're a fascinating dude, and I hope that we get to talk to you again sometime. Thanks all right. Well, thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Thank you. That wraps up this episode of the Voice Hacks podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. 